Open your Bibles this morning to Hebrews, the third chapter. It's on page 1002 in the Blue Bible. Keep your Bibles open this morning. We are going to reference some other passages, so keep your Bible open and keep your finger in this passage as we go to some others along the way. We're going to begin reading in the 12th verse of Hebrews chapter 3. You follow along as I read out loud. The writer says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was God provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would not enter His rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appointed a certain day, saying, Today, through David, so so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest... God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God rested from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Blessed are those who hear it and obey it. We are now well into the Hebrews series, and I've told you before that as we move through this book, we're going to see a series of warnings. 
We saw in week one that Christ is God's last best word for us. He is the Savior. And last week we were warned, don't miss it. If you want eternal life, there is only eternal life in Christ. If you miss Him, you're going to miss out on life. But today's text, we see another warning that goes along with the warning that we saw last week. I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open because I'm not going to just reference verses. I will do that this morning. But we're going to actually look at some other verses more in depth because we need to see exactly the seriousness that we're being warned about here today. Today's warning has to do about falling away from Christ. People who were walking the faith, talking the talk, and then they go back. This is a a difficult passage for us to look at because falling away is a reality that we see all too often. People who are engaged, people who are on fire, and then over a period of time you look and they're gone. Not because they've decided to attend a different church, but because they've decided to just stop altogether. Well, what can we learn from this passage this morning? This reality that we deal with regularly, all too often, of people who fall away. And what's the danger for us that we need to be aware of so that that doesn't happen to us somewhere along the way. Well, the writer gives us one historical example. God's people were brought out of Egypt, remember? He delivered them through the plagues, and finally, they weren't let go. They were kicked out of Egypt. Pharaoh finally said, get out. There's going to be nothing left if you people stay. So he threw them out. And as they're crossing the wilderness before they got to the promised land, they rebelled against God and they they lost faith. And God said, fine, you're all going to die in the wilderness. You will not enter in to the rest that I promised you. Only two, Joshua and Caleb, were able to go into the land because they believed. All the rest of them said, nope, never going to happen. God's just going to let us die out here. And that's the the main historical example that the writer uses of people who've been delivered by God, who are on their way to the promised land, and then they lost it. They failed to enter into the rest that God had promised. Paul even says in 1 Corinthians, he said, these things were written down. The Old Testament stories were written down precisely so we would learn from their example and not make that same mistake. And yet, how often do we see that today? People who profess Christ and are baptized become members of the church. And over a period of time, they drift away. In the uh, New Testament, we see a number of examples of this very warning from Jesus. Jesus gave the parable of the soils, remember? 
the sower went out and he sowed the seed and the seed fell on different types of soil. Well, remember, the second type of soil is that soil that is rocky. And the seed sinks in quickly and springs up, but then because it has no roots. Jesus said, the cares of this world, the, the desire for riches, cause people to fall away. Jesus addresses this very reality. Take your Bibles, keep your finger there in Hebrews, and turn over to Matthew chapter 24. It's on page 829 in the Bible in front of you. Matthew 24, beginning in the ninth verse, Jesus is talking about the last days when the trials and tribulations of the end times come upon the earth. In verse 9 of Matthew 24, Jesus said, They will then deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Verse 13, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Two things I want you to see in that passage. Jesus predicts that many people will fall away. So this should not shock us as something that God didn't see coming. But the second thing is that last verse. In the context of many people falling away, the ones who will be saved are those who endure how long? To the end. Jesus even acknowledges that there will be people who will confess him, but who will not be saved. He said, not everyone who calls me Lord, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. If you abide, if you hold, if you stay true. Well, that if there is important, because obviously if you don't, you aren't his disciple. John 16, Jesus said, I have said these things so that you won't fall away. The words of Jesus keep us attached to him. Keep us walking as His disciples if we're truly His disciples. Revelation over and over again talks about the crown of life that will come to those who remain faithful, who overcome, who don't fall away. Unfortunately, though, as I said, we see too many people today who fall away. We don't need to prove this. We see it. It's predicted in Scripture, and our own experience confirms it. We see this time and time again with people who come into our Pathway program. Men will come in and they'll say, I want to turn my life around. I want to get free from my addiction. And they'll come in and we'll teach them about Christ. They say, yeah, I want to follow Christ. They'll do the church thing with us. 
And then when they reach a point where they move out of the house, where they leave the program, I regularly tell them, don't leave the church. Don't leave the spiritual stuff. If you don't need the program, if you don't need the structured environment, that's good. That's what we want. We want you to move on from that. But you never move on from Christ. You never move on from the spiritual. And almost to a man, we hear them say, Oh, pastor, don't worry. I'm going to stay part of the church. Don't worry. And yet time after time, we see them. Sunday after Sunday, they're gone. It's easy to talk about following Christ. It's a different thing to actually do it. The Bible warns us of this danger, which is another reason why we need to stay in the Word, because the Word is relevant to the dangers that we face. It provides warnings to us that help us in our daily lives. It is possible for someone to be, listen to me, Christianized where they can learn to say the right things act a certain way talk a certain talk it's possible to be Christianized but then go back to the old life we sing the song again and again I have decided to follow Jesus And then there's that refrain, no turning back. I have decided that from this point forward, I am following Christ never to turn back. Why? Because some people decide to turn back. And we need to be aware of that. We want to be aware that this is a serious danger that each of us needs to be aware of. Luke 9, Jesus said, No one who puts his hand to the plow and starts to follow me, but then looks back, is fit to be my disciple. So the question remains this morning. Can we lose our salvation? Can we go from having eternal life in Jesus Christ having the assurance of heaven, and then something happened where we lose that eternal life, where we are now on our way to hell. Is that possible? Turn over to John's Gospel. The 10th chapter. John chapter 10 on page 897. Let me encourage you to grab your bulletin too and write some of these scriptures down. Take some notes because you're going to need to remember this. John 10, beginning in verse 27, Jesus said this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand either. The question, can we lose our salvation? Can we go from having eternal life to not having eternal life on our way to hell? What does Jesus say in John chapter 10? 
I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. Jesus does not put any unless. This is it. If you are a disciple of Christ, if you've truly become a follower of Christ, there is no chance of losing your salvation. Have you ever met people? I meet people like this and I just cringe when they say it. I used to be a Christian. You ever hear people say that? Oh, yeah, I used to be a Christian. I used to go to church. I used to do all this stuff. Let me tell you, according to Jesus, there is no such thing as a used to be a Christian. Are you with me? If you have been born again, if you have been bought by the blood of Jesus, if you've been born of him, there is no way to go back. So it boils down to this, really. There isn't a question of can you be in the church and go back to the world. Yeah, you can. But once you've been truly born again, you didn't just become a church attender. You truly became a child of God. It's impossible to go back. You will be faithful to the end. Are you with me? Turn over to 1 John, all the way toward the back of your New Testament. 1 John chapter 2, on page 1022. That's my Bible. What do you use my Bible for? First John 2, this is a key verse. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. John is dealing with exactly what we're talking about here. People who were in the church that we thought were part of us had bought into Christ completely. He says, but they left and their leaving does what? It shows they were never really one of us. That's not us judging them. That's their actions demonstrating that their heart has not been changed. Make sense? The reality is, I can't judge your heart. You can't judge my heart. We can't see on the inside. But we can see external. We can see life. And if your life demonstrates that you haven't been changed by Christ, John's saying, guess what? You haven't been changed by Christ then. If you leave, it's not because you had salvation and now you've lost salvation. If you leave, it proves you never had it in the first place. It's impossible, not unlikely, it is impossible for a person who has become a genuine Christian to fall away and go back to the old life for the rest of his life. Impossible. There are many people today who are claiming to be used to be Christians, and they're saying that they, they don't have it anymore, they've lost it, whatever. No, they didn't. Because you can't lose what you never had. What they had 
was a false sense of security. In their mind, they were convinced that they were Christians. But what we're seeing this morning is we can be deceived. We can actually believe that we're Christians and not be born again. Can we lose our salvation where we once were on our way to heaven with eternal life to where God says, nope, I'm taking it back? No. Because it's impossible for God to make us His children and then say, yep, I'm taking it back. You're not my child anymore. When my kids were little, and I'm sure your kids did at some point, we always, as parents, we do something that tick our kids off. And they have you have that moment where they look at you, you're not my dad anymore. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> right? You might not want me to be your dad anymore, but that's not a relationship that can be broken just because you're mad at me. The same is true with God. Once God makes us His children, that's an eternal relationship that cannot be broken. But we can be deceived into thinking that we have that. That we have that relationship with God. And I have people regularly who are not following Christ. They're not involved in the church. There's nothing in their life of any significance to separate them from the world. And they'll get mad at me. You can't tell me I'm not a Christian. God talks to me all the time. Well, there you go. I mean, I, I can't... How, how am I supposed to respond to that? Because supposedly God talks to them. The only problem is, what your God is telling you is different from what God has said in the Bible. And you're putting your trust in some experience that God has spoken to you, or they'll say something like, Oh, I pray every day. Well, oddly enough, Jesus never said, if you want to go to heaven, pray every day, and then you're good to go. Right? We can be deceived into believing that we have a saving relationship with God when we don't have it. That's a very real possibility. And the writer here is not giving us some hypothetical warning that could never happen. He's giving us a very real warning because this is a serious danger. And let's get right to it, people. Baptism does not save us. And baptism sure doesn't prove that we've been saved. Are you with me? Lots of, oh, I was baptized. I was baptized. Listen, if you're not following Christ, if you're not living a committed life to Him, you weren't baptized, you just got wet. And there are a lot of Christians, no pun intended, who are just all wet Christians. They're not real Christians. They're putting their trust in an experience that didn't change their life. They got baptized and they think that's good enough. And they're deceived into believing that what they have is the real thing. Just because you answer that question that I ask every person that I baptize. What's the question I ask? 
Are you trusting Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? I always ask that question before I drop them into the water. Just because you answer yes to that question doesn't mean that you've made a permanent commitment to follow Christ. Kirk? How about if you hold that thought because I've got an illustration here. I call it the Kirk Newkirk illustration. All right? I'm serious. It's in there. So what should we do? Given this warning, given the danger that we're told about here, what should we do? How can we avoid it? Talk to people in your life who used to be in the church but they now have nothing to do with the church. If you talk to them about their relationship with God, they'll often say, oh, I'm fine. I was baptized. Very rarely will you see someone who said, yeah, I committed my life to Christ. I was baptized. I was going to the church, but I chucked it all, and now I'm going to hell. You don't hear people say that. They'll talk about their baptism. They'll talk about their participation in the church. And they'll admit that they don't do that anymore. But in the same breath, they'll act as if they're fine with God. How can we take this warning seriously? We'll go back to Hebrews chapter 3. The text that we read this morning. Look at verse 12. In Hebrews chapter 3, he says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care. Yeah, yeah, what does that mean, though? How do we take care to avoid this danger? That's the point. It's not enough for us to just be warned and then just drift off even though we've been warned. What can we do to avoid this in our lives? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. I want you to see this in front of you. I could read it to you, but I want you to see it in front of you. 2 Corinthians is really easy to find. It comes right after 1 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. Very short verse I want you to see here. Paul speaking here. 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Key word there, examine. Don't assume that you're in the faith. Examine. And then the second word, yourself. How many of us spend a lot of time examining other people whether they're in the faith or not? More, we spend more time judging other people whether we think they're Christian or not than we spend looking at ourselves whether we're Christians or not. Paul is clear. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. That's how we take care. That's how we take this warning seriously. Now, flip back to Hebrews chapter 4. I'd apologize for making you flip around this morning, but I'm not sorry, so I won't do it. 
Hebrews chapter 4, the last verses that we read in our text this morning. How do we examine ourselves? The Word of God is the key. Hebrews 4, 12 and 13 says, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The Word of God is what helps keep us on track. For example, just to give you one example, later on in the book of Hebrews, we're going to see where we're commanded to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't just stop coming to church. If you want to examine yourself, you just see, well, the Bible says I'm supposed to be in church regularly. Am I in church regularly? That's a quick way to see how you're doing. And people who leave church, not for a period of time, but for years and decades, they obviously aren't reading the Word of God and taking it seriously that says, don't do that. Right? Examine yourself and use the Word of God. Don't just assume you're doing okay. What does the Word of God say about how I'm living? What I'm doing that I shouldn't be? What I should be doing that I'm not? The Word of God will help keep us on track. Our hearts will deceive us and say, oh, you're doing okay. You ever been there? You ever been drifting off into sin? Even as your heart said, oh, you're okay. What does the Word say here? It says that God's Word comes in there and it gets at our heart. It discerns what's really going on on the inside, what other people can't see. But if we're not living the truth, the truth of God will expose it. We'll see it. We may be telling ourselves, I'm doing just fine. But the Word of God is like that blood pressure thing they put on your arm. You feel fine. And then the doctor says, yeah, your blood pressure's through the roof. Right? I hate things like that. I think I'm doing fine. And then they put these, they put you on the scale. Hey, fatty. Right? I'm doing fine. Yeah, no. See, the numbers are, they don't lie. Right? We don't like the Word of God because it exposes the truth of how well we're doing or how poorly we're doing. That's why we don't read it. We don't want to know. How do we examine ourselves? We use the Word of God. And as we read our Bibles, we pray, God, show me exactly where I stand with You. God, have I convinced myself that I am a follower of Christ when I'm not following Christ? Have I convinced myself that I'm okay with you when I'm not? You do realize that when you pray that prayer, God will answer it. If you are sincere and you want to know how you stand with God, you, you open yourself up and say, God, let me have it. God will let you have it. He will either give you assurance that you are His child, or He will give you conviction that you're not. Second, most of us here today know at least one person who, quote, used to be a Christian, used to be part of the church, and they have nothing to do with God, Christ, the church, anything anymore. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3, where we started today. Verse 13. He says first, 
that we are to examine ourselves. And then, verse 13, he says, exhort one another every day. What are we to do? We are to make sure that we are encouraging one another. You can tell by looking at me that I don't really need that gym stuff, so I don't, I don't go to the gym. But I hear people that do go to the gym like to go with a, a buddy. Why? Because you got somebody right there with you saying, hey, come on, fatty. Two more. Two more. Let's go. Right? You need that encouragement. You need that exhortation. Right? We need that in the church. That's one of the reasons why we are part of the body of Christ, because we need people poking us. People giving us that encouragement. We need to do that for others, but we also need to have that done in our lives. And my experience has been the people who need to be poked, come on, right, are the ones who don't want to hear it. I'll bump into somebody and I'll say, come on, you need to pick it up, you need to pick it up. And that's when they get mad. That's why we're in church. Not so we can just comfortably drift along and hope we're saved. We're here so that we can encourage one another to be sure that we're saved, that we're not being deceived. We can only judge by what we see in other people, but God can judge the hearts. A profession of faith might appear to be genuine to us. And I'll hear people say this all the time. Oh, I know my child is saved because they made a profession of faith. You know what you saw? You saw a profession of faith. If we don't see more than just a profession of faith, we need to be concerned. And we need to examine ourselves, but also exhort one another. Because there's our perspective and there's God's perspective. And just because you believe you're saved, just because you've got people around you who believe you're saved, that doesn't mean anything when you stand before God. Because the only perspective, the only opinion that matters is God's. We can't make final judgments, and we shouldn't be judging other people. But, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be warning people around us. Listen, I don't see you following Christ. That's not me judging you, that's me in love saying, I don't see you following Christ. We don't do that because we're condemning them, we do that because we love them. Here's what I think we should do. I think we should just have a policy with our family and friends and we just honestly look at them and say, listen, if I don't see you actively pursuing a relationship with Christ, I'm going to assume you don't have one. Are you with me? Instead of us just assuming that the people around us that we love are saved, we should assume they're not unless they show us otherwise. And if you're not living for Christ, then I'm going to treat you like you're not living for Christ. And I'm going to warn you of the dangers that lie ahead. Good grief, people. If somebody believes that smoking doesn't, won't kill them, what are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to say anything because, you know, they don't believe it's going to kill them. You're going to say, hey, listen, knucklehead, you're going to die. That's going to kill you. You don't let the fact that they don't believe it stop you from warning them. We need to be in people's faces and say, I know that you believe you're okay with Christ. I know that you think you're saved. But from what I read in Scripture, your life isn't the life that a Christian would be living. And that's what the writer is doing here. He's not 
condemning them. He's just saying, listen, this is much too serious for us to not take seriously. Many people today are leaning on an experience that they had many years ago. They walked an aisle, they were baptized, they were in the church for a while, and they lean on those experiences as proof that they're saved. But there's nothing in their life today that demonstrates that change was real. So how can we know? How can we look at our lives and have a confidence that we are truly Christian? Listen carefully. I'm going to give you five things really quick. I don't want these to become legalistic check marks, things that you just check off. Oh, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. These are to be serious gauges that we regularly use in our lives to see whether we're in the faith or not. Number one, this one's obvious. Have you made a public profession of faith in Christ? Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to acknowledge me before men. You've got to let other people know. If you're trying to be a secret Christian, you're starting off on the wrong foot. If you want to know if you're a committed follower of Christ, have you let other people know that you're a committed follower of Christ? Tell that woman, tell that man that you love so much, I love you so much, I just don't want anybody to know about it. Keep it quiet. She's going to look at you and say, yeah, I don't think so. Well, why is is Jesus any different? If we're committed to Christ, we will want other people to know that. We will make that prayer of commitment. Two, if we are truly wanting to be a follower of Christ, to be a disciple of Him, we will be baptized. Baptism doesn't save us, but it is an important part of obedience. Jesus tells us that we are to believe and be baptized. How can you commit your life to Christ and say, I want to follow you, I just don't want to do what you say. If you are unwilling to demonstrate your commitment to Christ and be baptized in front of a friendly audience, most of us here have been baptized. If you're afraid to be baptized in front of a friendly audience, what makes you think you're going to live for Christ out there in front of an unfriendly audience? We need to have a commitment of Christ where we pray, Jesus, I want to believe in you and trust you for my salvation. I want to commit my life to you and I want everybody to know it and I want to be baptized to demonstrate that. Three, if you want to know if you're in the faith or not, look at your life. Are you living a life of self-denial where you are significantly sacrificing your time and your money for Christ? Jesus put it this way. He said, if you want to be my disciple, he said, get a cross, deny yourself, and follow me. Not one of those words says, just come to church on Sunday and you're good to go. What's happened is, we've lowered the bar so far that you don't have to deny yourself. You don't have to sacrifice in any way. We've made Christianity so easy, you don't have to do anything but say you're a Christian. And what do we say? Well, you're in. What's ridiculous? If that's all it takes to be a Christian is to say you're a Christian, then I think Jesus would have said, hey, just call yourself a Christian. He said, no. He said, deny yourself. Take up your cross 
daily and follow me. If you want to know if you're truly a Christian or not, look at your life. What did you do for Christ daily this week? Where you sacrificed and denied yourself and lived for others. Jesus put it this way in John 8, remember? My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. There is no such thing as a Christian who doesn't follow Jesus. True Christians have a desire for the things of God. They're not just involved in the things of God. They've got a desire for the things of God. Oh, I love God. I just hate the stuff of God. That doesn't even make sense. If you love God, you will love the things of God. You will love the people of God. If our daily lives are lived with us being our Lord, if we make our decisions, if we do what we want, we ought not to claim that Jesus is our Lord when we are our Lord. Salvation doesn't just change our destiny where we're going, heaven or hell. Salvation changes our life, the way we live. There must be more than just mentally agreeing that Jesus died on the cross for us. It has to be a commitment that is lived out in costly ways. There has to be a conversion. There has to be a change. That's why Jesus said to Nicodemus, remember, you must be born again. Number four. If you want to examine yourself, ask yourself what fruit you see in your life that demonstrates that you're following Christ. The fruit that I'm talking about here is there will be growth. We will become more like Christ over time. We will become more faithful over time. We won't just find ourselves comfortably attending church and that's it. There will be growth. There will be fruit. And part of that fruit will be seen in the lives of people around us. Who are you leading to faith in Christ? We want to be Christians. We want to claim we're Christians. And yet we have no impact on the people around us. We're not leading people to faith in Christ. Something's wrong. And I think that what's wrong is that too many of us have convinced ourselves that we're Christian when we're really not. Because we're having no impact on the world around us. And number five, and this one's obvious based on everything we see. If you want to know, if you have a, some assurance and you examine yourself, number five, are you continuing in the faith? Those scriptures that we looked at at the beginning, the promises are to those who stay faithful to the end. If you ever stop and look at your life and you are not following Christ, you should have no assurance of salvation at that moment. That is not to say that you're not saved, but there is no assurance if we're not living it. Does that make sense? We ought not to be going apart from Christ, away from Christ, but saying, but I'm okay. If at any time you stop and look at your life and you say, I am not living for Christ, then at that point you need to get concerned. And you need to repent. There is no assurance apart from walking with Christ. Judas is a perfect example of this. 
Judas was one of the twelve. He walked with Christ. He saw the miracles of Christ. Everything that we're told that the disciples did is going out and preaching the word and doing the miracles. There's nothing in the text that says, yeah, but Judas really wasn't doing that stuff. He was doing all of that with the other eleven. And yet at the end, he pulled up short because he didn't have a genuine commitment to Christ. He saw all that stuff, but he wasn't changed by it. We make an emphasis on the start. I was saved when I was 10. I was baptized when I was 15. We, we point to the start. We need to be looking at the finish. How are you finishing the faith? If you're not finishing it, then you need to question whether you really started in the first place. You can start the race very well. You can run ahead of everyone else. But if you stop, you won't win. You can't go up to the judges and say, yeah, but I was beating everybody for that first hundred yards. you got to admit that. And they're going to say, so? The winner is the one who finishes the race. Yes, we can experience a period in our lives where we will fall away, but it is only a period of time. I call this the Kirk Newkirk example. You can figure out why. Kirk is very honest. He went through a period in his life where he drifted away from the church and he was not following Christ. And he'll always come to me and say, Pastor, well, what about me? I fell away. I drifted away. And I always look at him and I say, Kirk, you came back. And the fact that you came back proves that you had something real. We're not talking about people who drift away and then come back. We're talking about people who drift away and never come back. If you drift away from Christ, if you drift away from the church and you stay that way for the rest of your life, that demonstrates you never knew Christ. You weren't changed by Him. Too many people today have heard the lie preached from pulpits in America that all you need to do to be saved is believe in Jesus and you'll have eternal life. Have you heard that? And if you believe in Jesus, you are saved. Once saved, always saved. That lie has damaged so many millions of people today. God is not obligated to let us into heaven just because we are, have convinced ourselves that we're right with God. Let me give you another example. Trish and I like to go to sporting events and concerts, and you know Trish, she's too cheap to pay full price. And so we go to StubHub to get our tickets. StubHub is where you can buy discounted tickets from people who aren't going to the game. You can get good prices on going. It's a great deal. But you got to be careful because there are people out there who will sell counterfeit tickets. Because with scanners today, with computers, you can have one ticket and you can make 100 copies and you can sell, right? Here's a, a test. Buy one of those counterfeit tickets. Show up at Ford Field. Show up at the palace. Hand them your counterfeit ticket. Have them scan it and have it beep and say, that, that ticket's no good. Get mad at them and say, but I paid money for that ticket. They're going to say, it doesn't matter. It's counterfeit. Millions of people today are holding counterfeit tickets to heaven. And they think they're good to go. 
And it's not till they get to heaven's gate when God pulls out the bar scanner and goes, whoop, and says, nope, not going to work. That's when they're going to find out that they didn't have genuine faith, that they've been sold a bill of goods. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't let that happen to you. Don't be one of those people that has a rude awakening on the day of judgment. Jesus is clear of what a disciple will do. Not so we can earn salvation, but because we have salvation. Preacher, you're just trying to scare us today. Yeah, I am. But I'm not trying to scare you for the fun of it. I'm trying to put the fear of God in you. That you might be sitting here week after week thinking that you are saved and you're no more saved than the man on the moon. Because you're not doing what Christ says a true believer will do. Why do you think God is going to let you into His heaven when you haven't done what Jesus says has to be done of taking up your cross, denying yourself, and following Him? I don't want to put my hope into believing that Jesus was bluffing. Did you hear me? I don't want to stand before God someday and say, Oh, I I didn't think you meant that. I thought you were just kidding. I thought what I was doing, which was less than what you said what a true Christian would do, I thought that'd be enough. I don't want to bank my eternal security on hoping Jesus wasn't serious. We need to take this warning seriously today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.